Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. first book, Positive Changes, a self-kick book, there's a chapter called From Mess to Message. It's something I'm a little bit feisty about, if I'm honest. And the guest today, Ted Smith, does exactly that. He's taken his past, which is such a story, and now uses that to help others. He was around people who drank. And so, uh, you know, that was the cool thing to do as a teenager, and he just continued it. And what's interesting, I learned this from my therapist, is that when somebody starts drinking at a, at a early age, like in the teenage years, alcohol stunts your emotional growth. Um, and so because he continued to drink heavily, his emotional age was stunted at whatever teenage year, you know, he started drinking. And when my therapist told me that, I was like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. I've been dating a teenager for 15 years, you know, I, you know, and like the lack of understanding or, or care about consequences, the, uh, you know, obsession with the, the, with the self, like everything revolves around you. Um, he hadn't yet developed that um, ability to empathize with other people. You'll learn through this episode that Ted Smith is my new superhero. So join me now as we learn just how far Ted Smith has come in life. Today on the show, I am joined by the fabulous Ted Smith. He's a relationship and personal coach and author of Healthy Me, Happy We. So hello there, Ted. Hi, Shelley. Great to be here. Bless you. I'm so glad you're here because your story, I don't think is spoken about enough. So thank you for being here. Sorry, you've had to be here through the story that you've been on, but please start to share where you've been. Yeah. So I was in a 15 year abusive relationship with an alcoholic narcissist. Um, I ended that two years ago. And in the last two years, I've discovered an amazing healing, transformative journey that um, allowed me to find my life's purpose as a coach and author to help other people through similar experiences. So while I hear often, you know, I'm sorry you went through that to me, um, I often respond with, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for the experience. I wouldn't want to repeat it necessarily, um, but at the same time, I wouldn't go back and change a thing because um, every minute of those 15 years allowed me to experience the opposite of what I'm experiencing now, which is immense joy and satisfaction and love beyond my wildest dreams. 
Bless you. That's really powerful. I know that people think sometimes they could get their spiritual awakening and their greatest growth from you know sitting on a yoga mat saying namaste. And it's not. And as you were speaking, you took me back like seven years to when I was in my last pregnancy. And it nearly broke me, Ted. And I'm really honest about that. But would I change it? And it's like, no, because my life now is a real wake up call for me and showed me just how strong and capable I am. So, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So you were in it for 15 years. So what age were you when it started and finished this relationship? I was 17. So, um, yeah, where to start, right? Um, I grew up in a small town in Southern Illinois and in the 90s. And um, growing up, I didn't even know gay was a thing. <laughs> I took, you know, the bullies in, in school to, you know, tease me for being gay for me to even start to hear what that term was. And, and I always knew I was different, but I never knew why. Um, I actually dated a girl for four years in high school and was very, it was a very confusing time because I wanted to be with her and I felt attracted to her, but I also had this obviously very competing desire over here um, that was very much in the forefront of my mind. And it created a lot of shame and guilt and self-loathing of myself that developed a really strong um, abuse pattern of myself. And that's ultimately what attracted this relationship with someone who treated me exactly like I treated myself. Um, so we got together when I was 17. He was a few years older. And at the start, you know, it was, it was wonderful. I was so excited. I, after I ended the relationship with the girl, I, you know, at 17 years old, which I kind of chuckle at this, but I, I thought I would be alone forever. I didn't think I would ever find um, a man that I could share my life with, that I would ever be happy. Um, I was convinced that I would be alone forever. And so when I found him just three months later, I, you know, couldn't believe it. And it was just, it swept me off my feet and it's such a great connection and um, but it wasn't long before the abuse started. Um, and looking back on it now, you know, I can see those red flags at the beginning, but as a 17 year old, I didn't know any better. Um, so for the first several years of our relationship, um, I kind of, um, I put him on a pedestal and really didn't fight back for myself, didn't stand up for myself. I just really believed that he um, knew what he was doing in relationships. He was more experienced and I was new at this. It was my first adult relationship. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of fighting because I really just apologized for anything I did wrong. And we swept it under the rug and moved on. And then a few years in, I finally started to stand up for myself. And that's when things got more explosive um, because he didn't like, you know, being told he was wrong or was not able to accept any criticism. Um, you know, nothing was ever his fault. The other dynamic was that, you know, beginning of our relationship, I believed that I couldn't live without him. Um, he had instilled in me that, you know, I would never find anyone else like him. And I was really lucky to have found him. And I believed that. 
um, because I, you know, I believe that myself. And so him saying that really just confirmed it for me. Um, but then about five years into our relationship, um, we were both on the board for a community organization and we, it was discovered that he had stolen over $13,000 from that um, organization. And this group was not only a group that was, um, it, it was, it was our entire friend circle. So these were our best friends that he stole money from. It wasn't just some organization. And what I found through that experience um, was the, the, the dynamic shifted um, in that it wasn't that I couldn't live without him. It was that he couldn't live without me because if I abandoned him, he really would have no one. It was because I stayed in the relationship with him that he even kept friends in the mix um, because they were all obviously very upset with him and very felt very betrayed. But because I stuck by his side, uh, it was we were able to maintain some level of friendship. And then similarly, about a year later, he cheated on me. And, you know, as I say these things out loud, as an outsider's perspective, it's like, <laughs> he did all these things and you stayed like, yep. And that's how it works because, you know, he was so convincing um, with his apologies and his uh, promises that it would never happen again. And also that layer of me believing that he couldn't live without me and that he would be lost without me, that I felt an obligation to stay. So that obligation is really um, a very strong sense of the codependent aspect of the relationship where I was living for him and for us more than I was for myself. Um, we really had this enmeshed identity. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't think it was possible for me to be happy unless he was happy. Um, yeah, I was very, my, my emotions were dependent on his. Um, and as a narcissist, you know, it was impossible for him to ever be happy for an extended period of time. Therefore, I was never happy for an extended period of time. On top of that, he was an alcoholic. Um, his drinking, he had, he had always been a, a regular drinker throughout the life of our relationship, but it got heavier and heavier because uh, he had his own depression and anxiety issues. Um, one of the common characteristics of a narcissist, which may sound counterintuitive, is that they really hate themselves. And it might sound counterintuitive because they they project this sense of um, amazing self-worth and like just like obsession with themselves. But there's a very there's a big difference between self-love and self-obsession. Um, you know, he really was the center of his universe and um, everything revolved around him. So because he was so unhappy with himself, he self-medicated with alcohol. And um, he had some really significant health issues that revolved around seizures. Um, it's a pretty, my understanding is it's pretty rare for seizures to result from alcoholism. Um, but his case was so severe that that's what he was experiencing. And he had a few grand mal seizures about five, six years into our relationship. And then over the course of the last decade of our relationship, um, had a, 
a lot of similar and related health issues. So it got to the point towards the end of our relationship where almost on a nightly basis, um, he'd have any combination of dizziness, weakness, memory loss, nausea, headaches, body aches, um, total confusion. I mean, there were times when he didn't even realize what year it was. Um, and I would notice that the more he drank, the worse his symptoms were. But at the same time, I didn't realize he was an alcoholic. So again, like hindsight is twenty twenty. I think it was more that I didn't want to admit that of my partner. It was a lot to come to grips with. It was a, a very much a, a strong denial for me um, to realize, you know, the the reality of my situation. Um, and, you know, I, every once in a while, when I would feel safe enough to confront him about the alcohol use, which wasn't common because I, you know, any, any uh, potential conflict or disagreement always really resulted in a fight and it could be explosive and just, um, just ultimately not worth it for me to pursue. But every once in a while, it would be so bad that I would finally approach him about it and, um, when I would, he would either shrug it off or he would promise to change and then the next night would be drinking just as much. Um, and again, I, I did not realize this was the behavior of an alcoholic. Um, so um, all of that kind of escalated into what I experienced at rock bottom, which was um, his drink, his dependence on alcohol had gotten so severe that his body couldn't go eight hours without it. He had a day of, um, not feeling well, and then had three grand mal seizures in one night because his body was going into shock without having alcohol in his, his system, um, called an ambulance. He was admitted to the ICU for a week going through alcohol withdrawal. And that experience is not something I would wish on anyone. It was something equivalent to what you'd see in a very dramatic TV show or movie. Um, but the level of drama of that situation is what it took to finally give me the wake up call that I needed to realize that this was no, this is not working and I needed help. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't my wake-up call to end the relationship, but it was my wake-up call for me to get help. And so I started going to Al-Anon, which is the equivalent of AA, but for the family members of alcoholics, and then started going to individual therapy as well. And, and Al-Anon and therapy are really what saved my life, to be honest, um, because without it, I probably would still be in that relationship. As crazy as that sounds. <laughs> I don't know if it does. I mean, bless you, the, the trust issues that you must have had along the way, whether or not, as you say, it comes back down to awareness. But, uh, you know, quite early on, there was like this money was stolen, but from friends. And then there was an affair and you carried on and then almost coming second best to alcohol. You always had like a carer, Ted, for a while there. Yeah, 100%. I was his caretaker. I was... Um... 
I was, I did not prioritize myself. Self-love, self-care were foreign concepts to me. I had grown up believing that, you know, we're, we're supposed to put other people's, other people's needs first before ours. And that, you know, putting myself first, like that just seems selfish. I didn't realize that there's a big difference between selfish and self-loving. Yeah. And I could so relate to it, which I'm sure the listener can, like you were 17, which is really young to be dating. It's like your first relationship, yep. but he had more experience. He'd had other relationships before, but I think, you know, about all of us, but I know many of us, I know for myself that I've been told like, you know, I can't live without them and I'm lucky to have them. Who else would want me kind of thing. And I just thinking you made me think about my past relationships to think like, did they have this self-hatred that you spoke of? Mm. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's common for people to not practice self-love. Um, and if we don't do that work on ourselves, we, we may, if there's a good chance that we don't have a healthy relationship with ourselves. Yeah. So he was a narcissist, but also an alcoholic. So he's almost dealing with two things, it seems. Did the narcissistic traits get worse because the alcohol or their separate issues for each condition? Yeah, I would, I would say they, they got worse the more he drank. Yeah. And they are, they are two separate things. Um, they're related, but, but different. Not all narcissists are alcoholics and vice versa. Um, but yeah, things, things would definitely progress and get worse the more he drank. And was there a trigger why he started drinking? Was it because of the money he'd stolen? Like, you know, a sense of remorse? Was it because he had the health issues and didn't know how to handle them? Like I said, it was, um, he was a pretty regular drinker from the beginning of our, of our relationship. Um, he was around people who drank. And so, uh, you know, that was the cool thing to do as a teenager. And he just continued it. And what's interesting, I learned this from my therapist, is that when somebody starts drinking at a, at a early age, like in the teenage years, alcohol stunts your emotional growth. Um, and so because he continued to drink heavily, his emotional age was stunted at whatever teenage year, you know, he started drinking. And when my therapist told me that, I was like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. I've been dating a teenager for 15 years, you know, I, you know, and like the, the lack of understanding or, or care about consequences, the, uh, you know, obsession with the, the, with the self, like everything revolves around you. Um, he hadn't yet developed that um, ability to empathize with other people. That's so interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah, what she told, what she helped me understand is it's possible that underneath what's going on for him, it's possible that he actually is not a narcissist, but the the drinking is what caused it. Um, and this isn't the case for everyone, but in his case, it, it could be. Um, and that if he were to miraculously get sober and be clean for a good, you know, five, six, seven years, it's possible that the guy underneath is completely different um, from what I experienced in that relationship. But 
you know, what I, what I learned in the last, so once I hit rock bottom, it was three months, a, a three month period of time uh, before I ended it. And I learned a lot about alcoholism and narcissism in that time. And one of the key things about a narcissist is that they, they don't ever believe anything is wrong with them, that every, you know, everything that's wrong in their life is, is because of other people. And so, you know, I, I realized that he would never change, um, that this, this would never change. There's like maybe a less than 1% chance of that ever happening. And so I wasn't about to stick around for, to wait around and see if something would happen that I knew most likely would not. I find that, I don't know if amazing is the right word, Ted, but I, you know, to be in such a, I can't think of the word, I was going to say detrimental, but as you said, you're glad you went through it, but to be in that relationship in particular for 15 years and then turn it around in three months yeah. is just yeah. something, and isn't I, it? <laughs> yeah, and I, the way I equate that is it speaks to just how high my threshold for abuse was. And it's because, as I said before, I abused myself so much. So like if that level is up here where I'm abusing myself at this level and so is he, the minute that I started to love myself and decrease this level, I realized that this gap here was not okay. It was, it was not, I could not tolerate that anymore. And so it didn't, that's only took me three months <laughs> to realize like the level of abuse I was experiencing from him was not okay. And because I knew that would never change, I was out. So is it, I'm just blown away by the three months. I just find that fascinating. So you're sort of talking about the levels and things like that. So is how do you break it? I'm thinking if you've been in that relationship, I mean, 15 years, I'm sure there's real negative impacts of being a, you know, damaging relationship for a year, but 15 years of always being like this low level, not loving yourself. Mm -hmm. Sadly, I should imagine some people don't get that insight and they will remain there. But how did you do it how did you you know flip that level of you know abusing yourself not loving yourself and then you know flipping it around in three months yeah I I really attribute it to that dramatic explosive rock bottom um you know it as horrific as it was it is the wake-up call that I needed and it what it really did and it was it wasn't just a single I mean the night of the seizures was traumatic but that week in the ICU I for any listeners, I don't know if anybody's experienced somebody going through alcohol withdrawal, but it was um, unlike anything I'd ever seen. He he was out of his mind, basically. And uh, it traumatized the hell out of me, but um, it that experience was really what I needed to be like, okay, <laughs> I've been doing this for 15 years and I have felt like I'm kind of helping him and playing nurse and like getting at least keeping him alive. And like, we have good times and we have bad times, but it's good enough for me. It's like, no, <laughs> this is not working. And it's only going to keep getting worse if you stay. So it's time to get into therapy and start getting support. Um, that was what the message I got in that experience. And I, you know, it was the lowest point I, I had ever gone through. Um, but without it, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I, I believe that 
you know, the drama of it all is what started my fast transformation. Um, you know, before we started recording, you, you commented on how two years is such a short time and, and you wondered if things were still raw for me and, and it's, they're really not. And it's because I've been doing so much work on myself through therapy and with coaching that at the same time, um, that my life is completely unrecognizable to what it used to be. And I'm now in a place where I have loved and nurtured and taken care of myself enough that I can also start helping other people through my book and through coaching and, and all of that. Um, but it's been, it's been a, a fast two years of, of healing and transformation. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I find it, I do, I just think it like this self-empowerment has just blown me away, it really has. And so, you, you, you know, you credit it because this kind of wake up call, watching them go through it in ICU, you know, after everything you'd been subjected to, like the affair, the abuse, you know, the alcohol and stuff, it was seeing him withdraw from alcohol was actually a wake up call, which was happening yep. to him. Yeah. Um, so you went into therapy and coaching. So just tell me, because I know they're sort of used interchangeably, but what's the difference between what therapy offers you and what coaching does? Yeah, um, there is overlap between the two, but the way I, my, my experience in the two realms has been is that therapy really helps heal things from the past, heal the trauma, um, and get deep into why we attracted things in the first place. So there's a lot of things from my childhood. I had a great childhood, but um, we all experience traumatic events as kids. It's impossible not to experience that. I had very loving parents and a great family and still do. Um, but there were certain events that led me to a place of, as an example, developing perfectionism as a way to get love and attention. And that perfectionism, perfectionism is really what started the abuse pattern of myself. If I didn't get an A or an A plus on a test or an assignment, what followed was not pretty in my own head. Um, you know, and it had nothing to like my parents uh, were very supportive and loving and they didn't have any expectations of what I got, but I had I had learned at an early age that those expectations were, I, I put those on myself. Um, and so my point is therapy will um, help you unearth a lot of the stuff from the past and kind of clear that gunk out. Coaching, um, in my experience, has been more about expansion and um, looking at things a different way and kind of not not ignoring the things from the past, but starting almost like a clean slate. Like those things don't, it's not that they don't matter. It, we still want, it's important to acknowledge the past and, and to learn from it. But in a way it doesn't matter in terms of your future. There can be different ways of looking at things. Um, and coaching is kind of the push um, to, to do things differently, to push out of your comfort zone and that sort of stuff. And like I said, there is overlap. I've experienced healing in the coaching environment and I've experienced expansion through therapy, but that's generally what I've experienced between the two. Thank you for that. So I'm just always gonna remember you, Ted, as this like, amazing three month turnaround. I think you might be my new superhero. 
<laughs> so for you, did you use therapy and coaching for your superhero journey? Yeah, both at the same time. So the first, well, after rock bottom, I started seeing a therapist. And then um, three months later, I left my husband. And the next month, I discovered Gay Man Thriving, which is an organization that provides coaching for gay men. Um, and started working with them. And I've been working with them for a little over two years now. Um, and I'm, I've actually become, started to work with them as a coach, not just a client, but as a coach. Um, and also coaching um, people one-on-one, -on -one, not just gay men, but others as well. Um, it's through the coaching program and sharing my experiences in that group environment um, that I realize that my story really could help people. And that's what started the book. Um, and uh, ultimately it's, it allowed me to find my purpose and which is to help people with their relationships with themselves and with other people, but primarily the relationship with yourself. Um, so for that, I am so grateful for the 15 years and the rock bottom and, and all the pain and anguish and all the crap <laughs> that I experienced in that. Um, because it allowed me to now experience what I have now, which is a, a very healthy, strong relationship with myself, as well as the ability to help other people. I just think you're fabulous. I truly do. And, you know, there's probably amazing coaches out there that have done all the courses and things like that. But I think there's something truly powerful when you're, you know, not just talking the talk, but you've walked the walk as well. Yeah. You know, that, full experience and for as long as you did it as well you know I just think it's really powerful so I have to ask were you a coach before your breakdown or did you have a very different background and your now your purpose is to give back yeah I know very different um I have a corporate gig right now that I'm transitioning out of at the end of 2021 I'll be um moving into coaching full-time it's just something I'm doing kind of part-time at the moment but yeah, I had this corporate gig that was completely unrelated to personal development. Um, and it's through this experience that I found my passion and something I really believe in because I've had such, such a transformation myself. I know that it will work for others as well. And um, it's something that I want to help other people experience. Yeah, I, I think you can quite easily say your own testimonial that you have had quite an amazing transformation. <laughs> yeah. Bless you. So... Where did the book come in? Because I like my first book, Positive Change and Self-Kick book came after my rock bottom during my last difficult pregnancy at the age of 40. And then Good Grief came as I had like loss of health and things like that. So I use writing as a healer. Mm -hmm. Where did you fit this in into your journey? Yeah, so about five months after leaving my ex-husband, um, I went to a live retreat with Gay Man Thriving. And that was the first time I really, in a group setting, started to share my story and what I experienced. And the number, I lost track of the number of guys who came up to me on breaks and thanked me for sharing and saying how helpful it was. And one comment really stuck out to me, which was, um, you know, I, I never really experienced an abusive relationship, but what I got from your story is that it's never too late for me to choose happiness for myself. And I have chills on the back of my neck just thinking about it. And what I realized in that moment is like, oh, wow, like my story really can help people. Um, and so that's what started the spark of me becoming a coach someday. And a few months later, I ended up having a conversation with a psychic. And uh, in that, on that phone call, 
he asked me, have you ever thought about writing a book? And um, I had written some fiction pieces in, as a teenager, and I had thought about maybe kind of resurfacing, resurfacing those now that I had this freedom and this time to myself that I could explore, you know, whatever the heck I wanted, thought about resurfacing the fiction stuff, but it just really wasn't resonating with me. And I told him that, and he said, that's not what I'm seeing for you. You know, my, what I see and what your spirit guides are telling me is, um, it's going to be a book about relationships that'll, that'll account, you know, provide an account of your experience and it's going to help people with their relationships with other people. And that's what planted the seed. And, uh, I, um, for the next few months, like it was just kind of sitting there and ruminating. And I'm like, I don't like, I enjoy writing, but I was like, I don't really know how, where to start. I don't know what I'm doing. And then, um, and thriving introduced me to an author coach who provides group coaching to people who want to write a book. Um, and, uh, I joined his program and within a few months I had a first manuscript. So, um, again, speaks to the quick, the quick, uh, journey that I've had. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was March of 2020 that I had the, the, um, conversation with the psychic and in April of 2021, I was publishing the book. I launched the book. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it, to your point, writing the book was very therapeutic, um, it helped me get to a more neutral place about the relationship. Um, I actually have a photo of the two of us up in my house now, not as a, um, you know, like happy memory or anything like that, but as a symbol of how far I've come and how I can view that relationship with gratitude now. Because when I first left him, I got rid of all the photos. I had a huge bonfire, like photos, scrapbooks, all that stuff, because I I couldn't have any memories of him. I needed the space to heal. And now I view that relationship with reverence and with respect because it was a sacred experience as awful as it was um, because it allowed me to experience what I experience now. It's just so powerful. I love the fact you've got a photo of it. I just thought it, what you said it's like it's going to be a reminder of you I think we do forget how far we come how strong we are the lessons we've learned you know a lot of people just go oh this happened to me but there's a chapter in my first book called from mess to message mm -hmm. and it is just that like rather than doing the victim card take the lessons from the experience and use it to come you know either to heal yourself be a guidebook for someone else and I love yeah. that you've done that yeah yeah just powerful stuff I also got goosebumps when you're saying when you're on you know, people talking about the book and they said I haven't had an abusive relationship, but it's about, you know, just aiming for more for yourself, really. And I absolutely love that. So, you know, if people are in a relationship, it might not be abusive, but they've got a niggle that are worth more than this, or they are in a narcissistic relationship. What one positive change would you say they could make today? It's really important to love yourself. And so whatever that is, if that's self-care in the form of meditation, exercising, taking a nap, um, literally the simplest things can be game changers um, 
when you're unhappy and in a, a relationship that's not, that's challenging. Um, and another form of self-love is, is self-awareness. So starting to watch how you talk to yourself. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how abusive we are to ourselves, how impatient and unkind and dismissive we are to ourselves. Um, you know, my, the question I often ask is, would you talk to your best friend the way you talk to yourself? And I, that's an important question <laughs> to answer. Yeah. Have you ever used mirror work anywhere in your journey? Yeah, I have. And I, I love it. Um, there's different forms of it and it can be really, really empowering and healing um, and a way to connect with yourself. Yeah, I thought so. Cause that's all about like looking in the mirror and I run a coaching program. And I said like every day, look in the mirror and say, I love you. And they're like, Shelly, I can't. So they just start by saying like, hello, or I could learn to like you, you know, yep. kind of meeting yourself where you're at at the start of that journey of self-awareness. Yeah. It, when I do it, it, it takes on different forms each time, but I, you know, it, it's a lot of, I love you. I see you. I appreciate you. I listen to you. I will prioritize you. Um, and then a lot of like, you're powerful, you are strong, you are brilliant, you are, you know, all those, all those good things. Um, and really it becomes fun after a while. Like it seems, it, even for me, it seemed like cheesy and weird and uncomfortable, um, but it really does help develop that strong relationship with yourself that you want to have. And, and when you have a strong relationship with yourself, your relationships with other people will improve as well. Yeah, I've said on so many of these shows, like um, the number one relationship you have in life has to be with yourself because it's only yeah. one from your first breath to your last. So make mm -hmm. yourself priority. So yeah, I absolutely agree. In your book, Healthy Me, Happy We, has that got tools in there that can help the listener or is it yeah, just your it does. story? Yep. There's towards the middle of the book, there's some like journaling prompts um, that I gave. And then there's also some tips towards the back about meditation. That's been a big thing for me, um, you know, with, with a mind that tends to overthink a lot and just, just a lot of mind chatter happening up here. I like to joke that there's a whole village of voices up here talking. <laughs> um, Meditation is really a great practice for being present and um, just being with yourself and just the thoughts still come, but to allow them to just come without judgment and, and just pass away without attaching to them or focusing on them for hours or, you know, whatever. Um, meditation has been a big thing for me too. But yeah, there, there are practical tips as well as, you know, conceptual education as well as my own personal story in the book. I like to do, a, I've read a lot of self-help books that either are all narrative or they're all conceptual and education. And I don't necessarily resonate with either one. I prefer the, the narrative and the story because you can learn a lot from and relate to the author when they're writing that way. But I liked, I did a mesh of the two um, because I see value in both. Fabulous. And where can people find your book? It's on Amazon. So Healthy Me, Happy We, Transforming Relationships with Yourself and Others. Um, 
the audiobook is supposed to be coming out in October, and the printed version is available, um, hardback, paperback, and there's a Kindle version as well. Fabulous. Ted Smith, it's no secret. I think you're absolutely amazing, and you're my new superhero. So thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Shelley. It's great to be here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at ShellyFKnight, life goes on. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.